0: So, I've entitled tonight's message, How Would You Save the World? You see, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but God often does things in ways that you might not expect. Has, anybody, has it happened to anybody else? God did something in a way that you didn't expect? So, when Michelle and I met, um, she was looking for a Christian man. And I said I was one. Now, in retrospect, <laughs> I look back, and I was kind of playing at being a Christian. Anybody ever met somebody like that? They just playing at being a Christian. That's kind of how I was. But the truth was, is that she kind of was too. So it worked out. <laughs> so it seemed like we were we were answered prayers, right? So we get together, and uh, um, but then something happened. She started getting serious about following God, and I didn't really. I was I was happy where I was at that starting point with just enough faith to be saved. Most of the time, not even that. And then finally, after some time, and tell me if this has happened to anybody else, but after some time, after some kicking and screaming and some tantrums, I finally came along with and I started to grow and wanted to serve the Lord. Now at this point, I began to realize that I was called to be a pastor but that's not what michelle wanted you remember she prayed for a christian man not once did she say lord send me a pastor (laughs) you see it wasn't quite how she expected she had a prayer in mind she had something in mind and and she asked god to send her a a a godly man and you know it took a little while to 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 get the engine revved up and get things going but finally she got one but then she got a pastor and that wasn't what she was expecting and the truth was, for me, it, was, it wasn't so different when I asked for God to use me as well because I remember when I finally, God touched me and said, you know what, I want to serve God the rest of my life, God use me. And then I went and talked to my pastor and said, you know what, you're going to preach, you're going to be a pastor. And I said, no, 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 time out. I'm going to go outside and come back in and you pick something different this time. <laughs> Has anybody ever had something with God, God wants to use you in a way that you don't want to be used? You know, I think this is why so many people think that God works in mysterious ways. Now, if you've been here a while, you know I hate that expression. I hate this idea that God works in mysterious ways because he doesn't. He, he expresses his will in his word. Matter of fact, we can see God's, God's will perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. So his, his will is not mysterious. But how he enacts his will sometimes doesn't line up with how we would do it. It doesn't line up with what we expect, so we think it's mysterious. And the truth is, how God saved the world is one of those things, because it certainly isn't how man would do it. If man was given the task, here's the parameters, here's what you have to do, how would you save the world? And the reason why I know this isn't how man would do it, because every other religion in the world, every single one, is this plan that's put in place so that, that you can figure out how to somehow do well enough to make yourself right with God. Christianity is the only one where God came to us and God made a way for us because every other single religion is about you performing, about you doing something. But however, Christianity and God's great wisdom, he sent his son to take care of us. The whole reason Jesus was born is because we couldn't do it ourselves. And that's the thing I don't know about you guys, but that's not how I would have expected the world to get saved. And the Jews, they had a different idea as well, right? They had this idea that there was going to be this political warrior figure that was going to come down and save them from the Romans. He was going to free them from oppression because he was going to rise up and be an earthly king, a political king. And it certainly didn't happen how the Jews expected. Matter of fact... To this day, many of them are still confused in their expectations, and they're waiting for somebody who has already came, amen? Because the thing is, is that when we start deciding how we would do things, it oftentimes looks different than what God would do. So let's take a look of the story surrounding Jesus' birth, and you're going to see how different we would have done things versus how God did them. And Lurk, Lurk, in Luke 126 through 33, it says, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary, and he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Let me ask you this. How would any of you guys expect a king to arrive to this world? Like, if, if, if God came to you and said, you know what? The king is going to come, and I need you to get things ready. How would you do it? The thing is, I I know how we do it because we see kings treated differently all over the world. We kings or presidents or or even just highly respected people, movie stars. You see how we treat them. We roll out the red carpet. If we were going to bring a king in, we would set up a palace or a mansion for them and they would have all the greatest things supplied to them. They are received great by the people of the society that they are visiting. And you would have the, the wisest and the most educated people there to greet them. But instead we see something different. When God says, "I'm going to send the king," I'm going to send him to a young, probably a teenage girl." And the reality is is she's not some great wise person. She's likely not very educated. She's not what you would consider someone that you would send a king to. But that's exactly what God did. And the thing is, is that we often see God do things that kind of baffles our good sense. What we would imagine is going to happen. And if you think about it, the whole idea of the virgin birth just defies logic. I mean, it seems like such a weird way to send the Savior of the world into the body of the most fragile thing that ever existed. And not only does it defy logic from the outside looking in, imagine it from Mary's perspective. I wonder if she was praying and said, God, I just want to be used by you. I went, like I did, right? I said, God, I just want to be used by you. And God, okay, I'm going to use you in this way. And I wonder if for a moment she went, can I get a do-over? Let's, let's pick something else. And I wonder if we're asked to do something extraordinary by God. Will we respond like Mary and say, do it to me according to your word? Or will we respond like I did for the first two years? Kicking and screaming, not wanting to do what God called me to do. But the greatest example we can take from Mary is that when God said something was going to happen to her, the impossible was going to happen, the extraordinary was going to happen. She said, may it be done to me according to your will. And she believed it would be so because God said it. Amen. And that's enough. And then if we move forward to the birth of Jesus in Matthew 1, chapter 18, through verse... Uh, Verse 1, chapter 1, verse 18 through 23, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And then all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophets. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then we have Joseph. And you have to hand it to this guy for the sacrifice he makes as well. Imagine this. Your wife is pregnant. You know for a fact it's not yours. How do you think that you would respond to that situation. I mean, from from a, from a human perspective, and it's actually the same perspective he had because he was getting ready to send her away quietly because he realized what she had done. He realized that he'd been she'd been fooling around on him. She she wasn't waiting for him, and and he was going to send her away. Imagine that you're him and you see this, but in spite of this, he's still going to send her away quietly. And the reality is, in this time, it was probably well within his rights to send her before the authorities and have her stoned, have her killed for this offense. However, he doesn't want this to happen by his hand, or disgrace her by his hand. And then an angel comes along and tells him that it's okay. And you're like, oh, well, shoot, I guess that's, that's good then. I mean, the angel came and he told Joseph it was going to be okay. I mean, that settles it. He should be fine, right? But imagine the life now that both of them are living. Because they see that she's with child, she's getting pregnant, but they know that they're not married yet. And, you know, today's society, we look at that and we don't think that's a big deal. Unfortunately, uh, men and women live together long before they're married. And this isn't a good thing. This isn't freedom. This is actually something that holds them down. It's not good for them. And people are getting pregnant outside of wedlock and they're doing all of these things. And today's society, like, well, that's not that big of a deal. But you have to understand back then, it was a big deal. And the truth is, today it should be a big deal too. It's actually unfortunate that it's not. But it was a big deal. Everyone's pointing fingers and snickering behind their back. We were even reading um, a a passage in in John just recently where uh, some scholars think that maybe the people were actually making a jab at Jesus saying that we weren't born in fornication. Saying that maybe he was. And the reality is is that there are so many times in the Scripture when we see people asked to endure something great, to endure shame or humility or pain or all kinds of things. I mean, think about it. David was hunted by Saul for years even after he was told he was going to be king. Joseph was enslaved and in prison before he would be raised up to second in charge of all of Egypt. And Gideon was sent to battle with seemingly less and less soldiers every single time he was supposed to go forward. You look at all of these things and, and you're like, God, why do you do things this way? I mean, it doesn't make sense to me. Wouldn't it have been easier just to put Joseph there in the first place? Wouldn't it have been easier to give Gideon all the soldiers? Wouldn't it have been easier to just, you know, flick Saul off the throne and put Joseph there right away? Wouldn't all of this been easier? Wouldn't it have been easier, God, to to send a Savior that was fully formed with a chariot of angels, an army of angels, into a, a coming from a palace out of the sky into a palace. I mean, wouldn't that, doesn't that seem like how we would do it if we were going to send a warrior? Some of you are like, oh no, Pastor Wayne, that's not how I do it. I've watched movies. I know exactly how everybody would send a here. That's the way it happens. God doesn't often do things the way that we would. But he always does things in a way that he alone gets the glory. And he ensures that his will is done. Amen. Luke 2, 4-7, Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. And because he was at the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. This is the one that boggles my mind. I mean, like i said we would send somebody already strong and fully formed but god sends jesus as a baby now you have to imagine this this is this is it's a baby <laughs> And this isn't like today where, where the chances of a baby dying in birth are actually quite low. I mean, the odds aren't as good back then as they are right now. They don't have all the medical technology. It's the most fragile thing. I mean, anything could have happened. What if Mary had postpartum depression? What if she actually rolled over on Jesus? What if, what if maybe she just loses Him and starts heading back home, leaving Him in Jer- Oh wait, that actually happened. She did accidentally leave Him one time. But there's all these things that could happen where this baby... Something could have happened. I mean, really. I mean, put him in some armor or something. Let's keep him safe. Does does God not know how much is resting on the shoulders of Jesus? From a human perspective, sending the Savior of the world in such a weak condition, it just doesn't seem like a good idea. And it's certainly not how I would have done it. And I can tell you this time and time again, you guys should all be very thankful that I'm not God. (laughs) You would be in a much different place right now. (laughs) <laughs> and it's been said that many babies have become kings that is the natural order of things usually they're born in a palace and they're swaddled and they're protected and many babies have grown up to become kings but you know this is the only instance in the entire world where a king became a baby and he came for us and man if i if i said okay god i get it do you want to send him as a baby the least that I would do though is like, really, God, I mean, why don't you make sure you had the best medical care? The least you could have done was reserved a room for him. It is beyond, it is in God's power to reserve a room. In mean, worst case, he could have just spoke a room into existence. I don't know what he needed to do, but instead we have the baby out in a manger. Doesn't even seem to have enough food or warmth. He's out there with the animals. Or Say we're going to go it this way. Say it's not going to be the best conditions. The least you could have done is sent them to an experienced mother instead of a teenager who's never done any of this before. I mean, you look at this stuff from our perspective, God does some crazy things. I mean, today, if you tried to have a baby in this environment, they would think you were Crazy. Matter of fact, today, many women struggle with just wanting to do a birth in a birthing center instead of going to a hospital. People look down on them for just going that route. And that's much better conditions than what Jesus was born in. And what about when you send that king? How do you think that would, you would announce that to the world? In Luke 2 8-14, 2, 8-14, it says, And in the same region were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring to you good news of great joy that will be for all people. That's good news. It's for all people. Amen. And in verse 11, it says, For unto you, is this, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest. And on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Why did God send the angels to the shepherds? This is a rhetorical question. I don't have an answer. It seems weird to me. Like I said, he does things differently than I would do him. If I was going to bring a king into the world, I would be shouting it from the rooftops. I would have called the Roman government. I would have called all the surrounding governments. They would have got press releases. We would have known it was coming. I certainly wouldn't have just called up the neighbor kids to tell them about what was going on. This doesn't make any sense to me. But God just goes to the shepherds. The only person that the angels announced to are these shepherds in a field. The magi that end up showing up later, the only reason they know about Jesus is they were paying attention to, to the, the stuff that was written and looking at the prophecies and they saw the star. No one told them, they just saw the signs and figured it out. The only people, that it seems to me, that were told were these, were these shepherds. I mean... Somebody needs to work on God's PR, it seems to me. I mean, this the, he must have got the wrong person in that position. And then one thing else, as I'll say, as we look at this, like I said, what seems to me such a strange way to do it, is this last verse in verse 14, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. How many of you guys want to be one of those people? One of those with whom he is well pleased. Well, I got good news for you. The qualifications are quite simple. You just have to believe in his son. You put your trust in his son. And when you do that, in that moment, a miracle takes place. The heart of stone is removed. The heart of flesh is put in. That exact moment you are made justified. You are made pure, perfect, and holy. The moment that you believe in Jesus Christ. And at that moment, you are well-pleasing to Him. You are those with whom He is pleased. Not because of anything that you did. If you're trying to somehow please God on your own, you might as well give up now because it, it, it can happen. You can't be well-pleasing to God without a son. But if you have the son, you have the life. And you are well-pleasing to Him. Amen? For so it is written by the prophets, and you, O Bethlehem, and the land of Judea are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. There's no doubt that Jesus is the king of the Jews. However, he's definitely not the king that everybody expected him to be. He's not the king the Jews thought he would be. He's not the king that Herod thought he would be herod expected him to be a rival and the jews expected a conquering king you know the herod went out and 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 murdered when he figured out the time frame he murdered every male born in that time he was just trying to make sure that that uh, he got the right one because he saw a rival you see even for herod the king of the jews was not how he expected and for the Jews, they expected this political figure that was going to come and save them in the moment. And once again, it wasn't as they expected. And in retrospect, which is usually how we see the, be- the beauty of God's plan, right? Hindsight is 2020, they say. It's easy to see the wisdom in a child king who would not have political aspirations. Right, He sends the king as a baby. like, oh, wait a minute. Maybe that does make a little sense. Hopefully somebody wouldn't be intimidated by a baby. And then after Herod's failed attempt to kill Jesus, it seems that the Roman government wasn't really interested anymore after that. It wasn't until Jesus showed back up later and started taking the Jews off that they wanted to kill him. And even in the end, Pilate wanted to wash his hands of the deed. But like I said, if it was our plan, We would have sent a conquering king to overthrow the Romans. But God's plan was different. Because he was not looking to free people in a specific time. He was looking to free people for all time. He wasn't looking to give them a new political leader, but he was looking to give them a Lord for all of eternity. And what he did in his son wasn't just a temporary stopgap. It was a permanent fix for all time. Amen. And we'll go ahead and finish up here in Romans ten eight through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your heart, or sorry, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The last thing that I want to look at that's not quite how we would expect it to be is the actual plan of salvation. You see, when when men looks at how they can be saved. And and we know this is true because we see all the other religions that have been put in place that have this exact same plan as we come up with this way of how we can earn salvation. How we can make ourselves right with whatever God we've decided to create. But the real path to salvation is something completely different. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to perform. You only have to confess Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was risen from the dead. This is not how we would have done it, but it's the only way that it could have been done. And what do you know? God's way is the right way. Our way, as usual, is wrong. And in doing it this way, God didn't compromise who he is but he still made a way for us to be saved, for us to be right with him because he made us brand new by stepping out of his throne and onto the cross to give his life for us, to pay the penalty that we could never pay, to suffer the suffering that we could never suffer and come out the other side alive. He did it all for us. That's why we are so excited about celebrating the birth of Jesus. Because he came to give us everything. He came so that we could be saved.